Welcome to the Final Draft Great Conversations podcast. Today's Great Conversation is with Sophie Laguna. Sophie Laguna is the author of the Miles Franklin Award-winning The Eye of the Sheep and the India Book Award-winning The Choke. Sophie is joining me today to discuss her latest novel, Infinite Splendors. My name is Andrew Popel, and every week I broadcast Final Draft from the studios of 2SER in Sydney. 2SER broadcasts from the lands of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. I'm recording on the lands of the Darug and the Gundungurra people, and I want to begin by acknowledging the traditional owners, pay my respects to their ongoing connection to their lands, acknowledge that it is stolen land, it always was and always will be Aboriginal land. Now, here on the Final Draft Great Conversation podcast, we're all about books, writing, and literary culture. I want to help anyone, anyone who wants to discover Australian writing, I want to help them discover amazing new Australian authors. And you can help me do that if you give us a rating, if you leave a comment, if you share this with a friend, if you tell a friend about it, any of the ways you can help put Australian writing in front of more eyes. I really appreciate it. Now, today on the show... Lawrence lives an idyllic life with his mother and his younger brother, Paul. Laurie's father was killed in the Second World War and the boys roam free around their homestead in the shadows of the Grampians. Laurie's a good student and a faithful brother and son. Art is his passion and Laurie can see the world differently to others until a horrific trauma robs him of his sense of freedom in the world. Join me as we discover Sophie Laguna's Infinite Splendours. <laughs> This is Final Draft, and my name is Andrew Popel. I am terribly excited to be joined on the line. Uh, again, we have met Sophie Laguna before. She spoke to Final Draft for her book, The Eye of the Sheep, which went on to win the Miles Franklin Award. Sophie is also the award-winning author, won the Indie Book Award of The Choke. But today she has a new novel out. It is, uh, it is terrific. I, I was blown away reading this book. It is called Infinite Splendors. Sophie, welcome. Thank you so much for coming back. My pleasure. Thanks, Andrew. Now, Infinite Splendors has so many threads that I want to pull on today, but let's give let's give the audience a little bit of a sense of the novel. Lawrence lives an idyllic life with his mother and his younger brother, Paul, in their house called Beverly in the shadows of the Grampians. Laurie's father was killed in the Second World War, and the boys wonder how their lives might have been different with him around. Laurie's a, a good student and he becomes a prodigious artist when he discovers a talent and an eye. But at age 10, he experiences a trauma that robs him of his sense of freedom in the world. And Sophie, this contrast between Laurie before and after the event, it comes to inform so much of Infinite Splendors. Laurie himself makes a project of exploring ideas of contrast through his art across the rest of his life. And so I wanted to start with that voice of Laurie. Laurie as a boy, a voice that he never really quite loses as he grows. I mean, I think it was conspicuous in your narrative that you kept that sense of Laurie's narratorial voice quite um, consistent. You, you explore these younger perspectives through the choke, through the eye of the sheep. And I wondered what draws you to these voices? and these, these journeys that these younger narratorial voices go through? Well, gee, you know, something must be drawing me to them, mustn't it? Because I keep, I keep returning. Um, I really don't intellectualise choices around characters. So um, the place where I will begin a new story is pretty loose and pretty playful. And um, I will, there'll be a, spark of an idea for something and so the story begins 
when I first encountered, if you like, Lawrence Lohman, the protagonist of this novel, he was in his 50s. So when I first began to write him, he was middle-aged, well into middle-aged. Um, but because he was interesting and complex and troubled, I um, felt I wanted to investigate his childhood and how he came to be the way he is. So, um, look, I, I've got a range of different answers to that to that question that you're putting to me. Mm. Why am I drawn to those younger voices? Maybe I could cheekily retort with how are more authors not interested in the early years of a person's life when it is the early years that contribute in the most profound way to shaping who and how a person becomes. So how are we not all more interested in early years? I mean, children are deeply mysterious beings. They don't have all that baggage and knowledge and, and, and education and everything else. So there's something very raw about the way a child sees and hears and experiences. So this is a bunch of different answers because another answer I might give, Andrew, is that I don't really know. Mm. I don't really know at all. I'm just I'm, I'm doing what comes naturally. As far as understanding it, who knows? It's the mystery of why, of why we create. It can never be pinned down. I mean, I can guess. I can guess. Um, but there's, no, there's certainly no definitive answer. It feels good. <laughs> I'm fascinated. Yeah, I'm fascinated that Laurie came to you in his fifties, uh, yep. in the nineties, because that's about yep. well, that's that's the third act, so to speak, of yep. Infinite Splendors, yep. and. Yep. By the time the the reader gets there, we have we have travelled a long road with Laurie. But what really jumps out at me then again is is that voice because Laurie's voice remains as as insofar as any voice can remain fairly consistent through the fifty years. He's his the way he looks at the world has matured through his art. But yeah. the way he speaks to us feels familiar. But then in contrast to his brother Paul, who yeah. who has had I guess we might say a more typical um, yeah. life. Paul has very much changed, and the way that really, the way that really is is shown through throughout the years is Paul's impatience with Laurie for yeah. for not treading yeah. a typical path, and um, yeah. that that really struck me. And as as I moved along, there is so much to to process with Laurie, but we we cannot help but feel that yeah. sympathy for the fact that people have that impatience for the fact that he is not yeah. taking that linear path. Yeah. I think that um, is, in, is an insightful reading, Andrew, of him, uh, of, of Paul's response to him. Because I think, uh, yeah, Paul is um, frustrated and ashamed, but he's also angry. He's also angry, you know, because I, I think he feels guilty. I think he feels guilty. And, and we're talking about, um, I'm, I'm just assuming that we're talking about the unconscious here. He doesn't know necessarily that he's angry, but he is. He's, he's, he's projecting anger towards Lawrence for changing. It doesn't make any sense, and it's not fair. But he's guilty. I think I think Paul feels guilt as well, mm. as well as everything else, as well as as deepest love and responsibility and shame and sadness. He's pissed off. Yeah, it's changed. Yeah, and it makes perfect sense. And sibling relationships. Where there's strong love, sibling relationships are always complex. It's such an and interesting. These, these boys were, yeah, they were really bonded. It's such an interesting thing that you bring up there that Paul is angry about 
what he perceives as as Laurie's change, whereas I've I've characterised Laurie as not having particularly changed. I don't know if you're a Pearl Jam fan, but a line from a Pearl Jam song pops into my head uh, where they, he, Eddie Vedder sings, I've changed by not changing at all. There is this expectation of change. Um, I want to... I wanna, yeah, it's, 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 it's nuanced, isn't it, what we're mm. saying? It's nuanced because, yeah, at the very same time, he, yes, you, you are absolutely right. He is angry that Lawrence hasn't developed in all those natural, ordinary ways. But, but what he's really angry mm. about is misplaced. He's angry at what happened. Yeah. He, and unconsciously, he knows what happened. He knows what happened. And he, who, who and where is his anger going to go? He loves Lawrence. He loves his brother. And hate is just the other side. It's a love that can't, any, it, it can't, the love between them can't feed Paul anymore. The joy is gone. Mm. And he's really, who's not going to be angry about that? And, and, but where, where can it go? It can't go towards, Paul can't be angry with his mum. Mm. Where can he ever express? Where can he ever, where could Paul ever find a place to express this hurt and this disappointment? Either of the boys. And this happens all the time. This happens now as well. Mm. Um, and, 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 and anger is going to be there in the mix as a, as a response to this drama, uh, 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 obviously, to me, obviously, yeah. Let's go then to those themes of having, having voice stolen but also feeling unable to articulate because Laurie's story is also one of trauma and one of abuse. At this point, I'm going to pop a, a content warning on mm. some of the mm. elements of the conversation. There will be discussion of tra- childhood trauma, so some people mm. may want to tune out and if um, – if, mm. This is bringing up anything for anyone. We can let people know that Lifeline is available twenty four seven on one three one 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 four. Laurie's trauma it comes to inform his entire life. It's also mm-hmm. conspicuously something that he can't articulate. Um, Laurie's inability to speak of the trauma you physically realise through a stammer which he develops after the incident, and that cruelly cuts him off further from the life that he, he once enjoyed and any chance that he might have of expressing what has happened to him. Were you looking here to the way that survivors of trauma often have their voices taken away, either through systems that aren't ready to hear them or through people that are not ready to believe? I didn't do those things consciously. You know, I just, I, so it, you're better at doing that than I am as the person working from the inside, mm. if that makes sense. So the, the way you articulate that is, is, is clever and, um, and, and just right. I can only say what it's like from the inside. So I often feel like quite the dolt, you know, because I can just tell you that I wanted to play with the idea of a stammer, so a mm. physical expression of how he was affected by what by what happened to him. My understanding and my understanding of that stammer, again, it's complex. It both prevented him from communicating, but it but it prevented it protected him at the very same time. He experienced it as a kind of protection. As as odd as that may sound, that is how. He was able to articulate inwardly for us, the reader, that it functioned because it kept it kept him closed off. It kept his words inside, and that is what he needed. Isn't it contradictory? Mm. I discovered not, a contradiction lay within every single idea and choice and 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 um, character 
throughout the book. And there, and there is another one that, that, that the stammer, yes, it made, it, it, it cut him off, like you say, from others, but he needed to be. Isn't that, isn't that, um, self-defeating? But maybe he couldn't have survived without it. See, there's always another way to look at it. He did survive. He did survive well into middle age. And I will challenge anyone who says to me that his life was not a rich one. I, I will I would challenge that because I think it really, really was. That's why I made him, mm. to show it, to show it what's possible. I, I mean, he was an artist. He, he, was, he was an artist, profoundly talented. I came. Yeah. I came to realize also that you had created intentionally or otherwise a parallel in the way that Laurie communicated, and so I want to go to the art because yeah. what you do with Laurie, with his process of creation, what you do with art and, and musing on art is is truly wonderful. Mm-hmm. But to communicate deeply, it takes time, and we can see that in Laurie's art from the time of being a young boy, the process of yeah. of discovering yeah. art to actually being able to fully communicate with it is a long yeah. process. The That's process so of, true. I hadn't seen that before. The process You're of, saying so many things I, I hadn't understood. You're, it's illuminating hearing your read of the book. Yeah, keep going. I'm sorry I interrupted. Not at all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's really interesting. The process of creating a picture takes time, but also for Laurie, and this is is a a refrain that we hear over and over throughout Laurie's life, when he tries to get a sentence out, it takes him time because he he gets stuck on the very initial sound. The words sort of get blocked up for him, and people never give him time. Conspicuously, when he is given time, he is able to get ideas out. And in fact, the more he is given time, yeah. he gets more ideas out, much like that process and that process oh God, of communication. Right. <laughs> yeah. What is yeah, your, what is your connection yeah. to art there? I mean, how did you go about getting inside the parallels? I mean, writing is an art, but it's a very yeah. different art yeah. to, to the visual yeah. arts. How did you get into Look, that headspace? I mean, as you were speaking, as I said, um, you know, your reading is insightful because you're right. He did he did take a lot of time, didn't he? And even there was a break between he, he learned to paint, he began to paint as a child, and then he stopped. And he stopped, what, for a period of 12 years, 12, 13 years? Mm-hmm. And, um, and in all of that time, and he articulates this, he says, I was still thinking as a painter. He doesn't use those words. But you remember he says, I still... Saw nature as an op- every every yeah I still saw nature as endless opportunities, but I didn't lift a brush. And then he comes and then he begins again. He begins to paint at, at twenty four, I think. Mm. And so that was as long as it took. And I think painting was growing. Painting was growing. So the timing was quite perfect. The way a book can grow in a person without a single word going down onto the page until the time is right. And finally, the time was right. The time was quite critical. Painting saved his life. It was painting or nothing, really, wasn't it, at that point? Um, yeah. yeah. And, so, and so now I've, I've lost my trail. I've lost my trail because I wanted to, I wanted to address that, the time it takes. And so me and art, so I grew up with artists. My mother's an artist. My husband's an artist. Um, my sister-in-law is an artist. I respond to visual art. And there are parallels. There are parallels. And and um, yeah, what can I tell you? There, there, 
I use my imagination and I respond strongly to painting and I looked for the parallels and exploited them, for want of a better word. I saw them. The, um, the addictive nature of the work, the, the road further and further inside, the, into the work, um, the creation being something like a, a search or a quest, and the joy. The joy, the satisfaction, and the pride. I mean, he 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 has a, a sort of wild moment. One of my favourite moments in the book when he said, "No one else can do what what I can do." You know, he was really been up all night into that painting of the night. He painted the night, mm. and he really went for it night after night after night. He never painted the night before. He didn't know it could be done, and uh, and and he lost himself in it. He, it was quite a reverie. And it was exciting. It was so exciting, and um, and uh, yeah, I, I guess I, I guess I experienced something like that. But I'm I'm just I'm I mean that's what writers do. They imagine and they play, and it doesn't have to be factual. It's it's got to be convincing. It's got to be it's got to feel true, mm. you know. And this was my understanding of this painter. Uh, yeah, that's all I can tell you. I want to pull. I, I mentioned I mentioned threads at the beginning of our conversation, and in the tapestry of ideas that you just gave me, I want to pull a little bit on one of those threads, and that's so, that's that idea of of art and life, because so much of Infinite Splendors it is a dialogue with art and artists. Laurie receives a book yeah. of letters from the masters yeah. from his, yeah. his uncle. It's not an it's not an uncontroversial gift, and I was really interested in the way that he no. kept going back to it, but. There's a moment where he is reading uh, – it's a letter from Millet, and in it Millet um, talks mm-hmm. about – he, he says, mm-hmm. I see infinite splendours. Yeah. And this is attached for Laurie um, as an emergence, a way of seeing the world and Laurie's feeling as if his life is just beginning. So this is when he's taking yeah, that's right. up his brush again. And that, that absence of painting paralleled a period of his life where I guess there was – for one of um, a, a better way of expressing it, there was a period of suspended development. The thing that yeah. we talked about, Paul resenting. Does art help us communicate more fully with life? I mean, is that that process you were talking about the, the creation? Is that akin to life? I mean, it seems to oh, be for. I mean, for, I mean, for him, for him, it is. Mm. For him, it is. For him, he it is all. For him, it is all, and I think that everything that he lacks. In, as far as his ability to connect and be intimate, all of that possibility and energy and richness went into his painting. Mm. He, he, yeah, and, and many, many don't get to, you know, that, that's a rare pleasure. I don't know. I don't know if rare is the right word. That's a, that's a significant and very reliable pleasure for him. And, and 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 ultimately, it will be a great gift to the world. That's what I decided for him. Um, and it, it is his way of processing his environment, understanding his very existence, his purpose. Yeah, that that was how he was trying to understand life and death. That things live and they die. What is it? Why is it? Why is it so beautiful? Would and um, whose whose letter? Was it Corbet who wrote who wrote a landscape painter's day is delightful? I love that. Mm. He he thought often. He pondered that often. 
the simplicity of that. A landscape painter's day is delightful. I mean, that's so simple. And nothing could take that away from him. And everything else had been taken away, but you can't take that away from him. And that re- that's a generous gift to be given. And that gave and gave and gave year in and year out in my understanding, in my understanding. I guess I'm emphasizing these aspects of his life because, because many readers, understandably, you know, there, there is, there is great focus on what was taken. But for me, the creator, it's, it's different. For me, the creator, I just revel in all that he had. Isn't that a weird, mm. isn't that a weird contradiction? It keeps, you know, the trauma and, keep hearing those words and I understand, but it's not where my interest lies. I know that, I don't know what words there are for that. That's not where my interest lies. He spent his whole life looking at light, painting light, recording light, you know, speaking about light. I think it's very interesting uh, that yeah, you, thematically, yeah. thematically, you you are emphasising and coming back again in the book to ideas of contrast. And again, you you talk there about your interest being in the fullness of Laurie's life, and uh, almost despite the trauma. And it's really exactly. interesting, or because of, or, mm. be, or partly because of, related to at least. And you show us throughout the the narrative, we we become more fully within. Uh, Laurie's space. There's a period in the centre of the book where he is thrown completely into his painting, uh, almost you know, cut off from the rest of the world. And then you bring Paul back in. Paul has to deliver things to him. And then we see a little bit of perhaps what we might see as a, a more typical view on what, what is happening to Laurie. And it's, it's yeah. really interesting that Paul never responds to the paintings directly. He more kind of responds to... Uh, what he perceives yeah. to be Laurie's life, and um, yeah, it's yeah. very. He's it's, not proud of them, is he? he? He doesn't get it. He doesn't get it. It's almost like he can't see yeah. them. He um, yeah, yeah. yeah. That, it's um, it's very interesting. That I want to, I, I just want to yeah. interrogate this idea of contrast again because it's very. No, it's actually not. Sorry, it's 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 about a third of the way through the book where yeah. um, Laurie starts musing to him. So he's come back to his painting. And he starts musing to himself, how would it ever be possible to paint the night? It was only possible in contrast. And this idea of darkness existing in contrast to light, he comes to understand these ideas of light and perhaps by extension beauty. They're essentially in contrast with the dark. They're entwined in kind of almost an essential truth. And I wondered if this, even if it's it's not something that you deliberately put in there, if you can see how that might reflect in terms with Laurie's own life and experiences. Did his did his yeah. life and did his art necessarily flow from darkness? Like, were there was was the well, beauty? It's, it's, oh, it's really interesting to hear you speak about it because so much of it wasn't conscious. I'm, it's almost embarrassing. Honestly, it's almost embarrassing because. You are as yeah. You are seeing things that now that you point out to me, of course, it makes perfect sense. Even though I created it, I didn't sort of do it on purpose. But mm. but you know, I'm speaking about contradiction in art. But I didn't have that heavy hand where I was going, and I will use this as a reflection to show the contradiction between ugliness and you know. I didn't mm. do anything like that. I just, I honestly, in the it. As far as me writing it was going, I was literally thinking about contradiction on the on, in a piece of artwork. 
I'm really not that clever, you know. But but now that you pointed out to me, I, I'm, I'm it's like I'm banging my own head, going, of course, contrast. I'm talking about the contrast between violence and cruelty, I suppose, or or, or transgression, mm. and 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 delight and 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 rightness and and beauty, and that one can't. Maybe I am I saying one one isn't possible. Well, I am saying that in this book, according to Lawrence, you can't see one without the other. Mm. I'm like, I'm having a moment here because that is one of those, you know, truths, isn't it, that we that human beings grapple with um, in our darker moments. That that if we didn't have them, we only know we only know happy we only know the light because. We have the other, it's, and and what, and they're, 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 they're the same, like love and hate. They're together. It's interesting, isn't it? Uh, it's a, I mean, it's a fascinating process to look at the the parallels from the visual. I'm thinking about. Um, yeah. Those, those paintings by the Italian masters and the the the, the yeah. technique of chiaroscuro, which um, is is meant to be that very brilliant contrast of light and dark, and and how yeah. it it can serve to illuminate the darkness, but in some ways, yeah. in some ways, the harshness of the light is also can be damaging, um, and it's very interesting to see yeah. see play yeah. in yeah. in Laurie's life. Um, I want to. I, I, I so rarely uh, uh, do this, um, but I want to think then because you're you've talked to me a little bit about how sort of themes are not a heavy handed uh, thing for you as you're writing. The the story emerges as the story emerges. What's the editorial? Yeah, what, yeah. What's the editorial process like for you uh, as you go back and you have to to edit and you're rereading and rereading and yeah. What emerges for you? Do you are you surprised by the voices that you um. That, that you you find on the page, does surprise doesn't feel quite right. I'm, um, I enjoy them. Mm. I enjoy them. Um, they don't feel like me. They're not me. Um, and they and um, you know, obviously, over the years, over the two or three years, they will develop mm. the relationship between me and those characters. Will I will know them better, so I will need fewer words to tell them because I'll know them better. So that words that I do choose will be the right ones, and so they'll I will need fewer of them. So I'll get rid of a lot of them as I get to know the characters layer by layer. Yeah. Um, I mean, the whole thing is a, is a sort of a surprise in a way, um, and in a, in a, here's another contradiction. At the very same time, it's not because. Mm. I set out with an idea that quickly became this one. I structure the story pretty quickly. I know exactly what's going to happen quickly, soon, few weeks. I decide. I don't really waver. I might waver on like, I might, you know, here's what I might waver on. There's a straw man or a scarecrow in the story and I'll, mm. I'll make a decision. Will I write the scene in which, the straw man is built or will I not? Has he been there all these years? Or And then I'll realise, oh, I'm underwriting here. I need to go and establish this. But let's build the scarecrow. We'll build him. Does it feel, does it belong? Yes, it belongs because the straw man is also like the mountain in the story, Mount Wallace, another kind of a silent witness, isn't he? He is. 
Mm. He's another, I mean, I'm only realizing this now that I'm talking to you about him, but he is. He functions as the straw man, as a silent sort of a consistent companion who doesn't speak, and I think he reflects Lawrence. He's, Lawrence the part of Lawrence, God, it's all coming to me now, is the straw man stuck. Yeah, a part of Lawrence is stuck like the straw man right there. Um, but he farewells the straw man ultimately. Mm. He farewells the straw man. Um, so, so yeah, I will. I will know my plot. I, I, I need a plot, and I'll know my plot, and I'll work very hard to be constantly moving forward within Ana- the plot. Yeah. Another indulgence of the reader is is to wonder and ask, what if? Um, do you, as you reread, as you wonder? I mean, apart from structural elements like the straw man there do you do you ever question what if have you ever you know thought what other paths might laurie have taken i mean not for long not for long not for long long. no not for long um yeah i i i will i will a little i'll think was there you know a different was could he have met someone who could have Help, and that doesn't. Feel, and I'll, it's all intu- it's all it's intuitive, really. It's like writing with an inner ear. It's like listening. Uh, it's not a great way to describe it. It's not the decisions aren't intellectual. It's a more an intuition or a hunch, and that that hunch doesn't feel quite right. It doesn't feel too modern. It felt too modern that there might have been some fantastic specialist who could have helped. It didn't feel real. Uh, so that was one possibility I, I, you know, entertained for a split second. But no, not really. Mm. Not really. I, 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 looking back, it's the same process. The process has been pretty much the same for all of my books. I will find the plot, uh, seek a plot. It's, it's completely um, instinctive as in just what happens. I'll just quickly look for one and feel pretty anxious until I have one. I don't. I don't much like. I want to know the bones. I want the scaffolding down. There's an urgency, and there's an urgency until until I know, and then maybe it's that strong scaffolding or structure that can allow me to be very free within it, and that's why I can go to these places because the scaffolding holds, and I know what's going to happen in the end. I need to know what's going to happen in the end. That's interesting. Because I mean, that I, sounds like I sound like a primary school child. I'm sure. <laughs> I, I think that's interesting, though, because I think it is a gift of your books um, and coming full circle back to the beginning of our conversation, which was about youthful narratorial voices. Um, we see youth as containing, to to borrow from Millet and from your title, Infinite Splendours. And I think it's inevitable when we look at a a story focused on a youthful protagonist that we wonder on the the infinite pathways that that life can take. And, I mean, it was definitely indulgence of mine as I read Infinite Splendours to wonder wonder at different pathways. So, I mean, that is, as I I said, I think that is a, a gift of your books that... In, in within the narrative, you provide us the safety to imagine yeah. other ways that this life could have happened in a way yeah. that because this is this is a story. There are elements of this story that we know are paralleled in society, and we know mm-hmm. that, that we know that this is 
these are issues that need to be confronted and and within a narrative you give us a space to do that as well as seeing also mm, the wonder mm, of the mm. one the one life the structure that you have created for Laurie you know I'm, again I'm getting a range of different thoughts as you're speaking and one of them is I wonder I'm more wondering what pathways you're taking right now mm. <laughs> I've, I've wondered that a great deal what infinite road is he traveling now I am speaking with Sophie Laguna. We are discussing her new novel, Infinite Splendors. It is an absolute triumph. And uh, I introduced Sophie at the beginning, the idea of mm-hmm. pulling threads on this novel. And I mm-hmm. I mean, I, I'm almost jealous of all the readers out there who are yet to experience Infinite Splendors mm-hmm. and, and pull on those threads for themselves. It is a terrific mm-hmm. novel. Thank you so much for coming on the show and, and Thank talking you, to Andrew. me. Thank you, Andrew. It's been illuminating. It's been, for me, <laughs> it's been really interesting. Thank you. That's it for this great conversation with Sophie Laguna. Sophie's new novel is Infinite Splendours and it's out now through Alan and Unwin. Great Conversations is recorded on Gadigal land of the Eora Nation at 2SER's Broadway Studios in Sydney, Australia. The show is produced and presented by Andrew Popel. If you want to keep up with the latest in books, writing and literary culture, you can find us on the socials. We are at Final Draft 2SER. Click subscribe in your podcast app. It means there will be a new Great Conversation every week. I am Andrew Popel. I will be back next week with more great conversations from Final Draft. Until then, I wish you happy reading. Bye now.